Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! The Hallmark Playhouse, which is heard during most of the year at this time on Thursdays, has nearly finished its summer vacation. So be with us when Hallmark Playhouse returns to CBS three weeks from tonight, on September 7th. Now, from Hollywood, it's time for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Mickey McQueen, Charlie. How are you? Oh, Mickey, I tried to phone you a couple of times. I never reached you. I'm out a lot these days, Johnny. Hey, I heard about your protection of the sergeant, Mickey. I'm nice going. Well, it isn't good. They're taking my beat away from me, putting me behind the desk. I, I've got to talk to a friend about it. Will you be home tonight? You really sound worried, Mickey. What is it? Oh, nothing yet, Johnny, but there'll be murder before it's finished. My mind's made up. I want to talk to you about it. Sure, Mickey. I'll be here any time you want to come up. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to whom it may concern. Hartford Police Headquarters, Hartford, Connecticut. I don't expect you to honor this statement... But since the reports to my regular employers go in on these forms, the following is an accounting of my expenditures during my personal investigation of the Mickey McQueen matter. It's been my privilege to have worked a number of cases with Mickey McQueen here in Hartford. And through the years, a friendship developed between us. So when he phoned Tuesday night to say he wanted to talk to me, I was glad to ask him over. But when it got to be 1.30 in the morning and he still hadn't arrived, I wasn't so glad. He arrived at 2. I'm sorry I'm late, Johnny. Yeah. Ah, what held you up? I was about to drop off. I had to take Charlie. Ah, you're in uniform, Mickey. What about your beat? My beat? Hmm. My beat won't lift me. After 20 years of walking it from dark to dawn, checking its doors and passing the time of night with its people, talking so much. Yeah. Oh, is it too late for a drink, Mick? I got your brand, some Irish. Yes, that was good of you. I, I've been a good policeman, Charlie. I can say that without sounding like I'm stuck on myself, can't I now? Well, I've never heard anybody say anything else, Mickey. Well, I've got more friends to my credit than I have arrests. But I've got a quiet beat. I think there are quieter beats in town. Maybe you're lucky. Here's to it. All right. But be careful what it is. There's murder being done and planned right this minute, Johnny. Them that can stop it don't have the heart right or wrong. What are you talking about, Mickey? I know what I'm talking about. Are you feeling all right? Feeling all right? I'm as healthy as I was yesterday, if I know. I didn't see you yesterday. If they're taking my job... Put me behind a desk. A degrading end for a man that's been active for 20 years. After 20 years on your feet, you should take a rest. You've earned one. The very words of commission, Johnny. But, Johnny, I. Yeah, Mickey? Ah, never mind. The devil take them all. I've used up enough of your time. Wait a minute. You came over to talk about something more than your new job. What's this stuff about murder being planned and being done? I shouldn't have said it. I wish you'd forget it. What's the matter with you? You know me well enough to tell me, and you know me well enough to know I'll keep any confidence you want me to keep. You're a good friend, Johnny. Maybe that's why I changed my mind about telling you. And why'd you come over? Because I thought I was going to talk to you. But I'm not. Hmm? All right, it's your business. But you're acting like a kid, Mickey. Now, if you don't have anything to say to me, it's after two. I may have a job in the morning. All right, Johnny. I'm sorry I bothered you. I'll say goodnight.
I didn't sleep very well for the rest of the night. The thought of a half doze parts of Mickey's conversation kept coming back to me. And the more sleep I lost over it, the more I wished I'd been less grumpy and more sympathetic. There wasn't a job for me the next day, and right afternoon I decided to drop by his apartment and find out his mood when he was off duty. Mickey's apartment occupied the ground floor of a house not far from mine. I could hear a woman crying somewhere inside. I smelled domestic trouble, but I pushed the buzzer anyway. Hey, you... Yeah, I'm Johnny Dollar, friend of Mr. McQueen. Oh, yes. Johnny Dollar. He said to phone you if I ever needed... Is he home? In there. She pointed in the direction of a door smaller than the outside door. The door to either a bathroom or a closet. Still in uniform, his own polished leather belt drawn tightly around his neck, hung Mickey McQueen. I walked back into the lace-curtained living room. The girl who had let me in didn't go with the furnishing. She was young, attractive, and her shoulder-length white blonde hair might have been natural. She had stopped crying, and she acted as if she were waiting for me to start something. Well, what about it? Do you explain yourself, or do I get three guesses? Never mind that look. I only live here. Ah. Well, I didn't know Mickey had a daughter. Thanks for the compliment, but I'm his wife. I uh, didn't know he had a wife, either. Maybe he was ashamed of me. My name's Thelma. I'm sorry, Thelma. You an old friend of Mickey's? Yeah, but he never told me about you. Have you seen him lately? Last night. First he phoned me, then he came by to talk to me. I'm not sure. He was pretty handy with double talk. Maybe I was supposed to understand it, but I didn't. What was it about? About his job, change he was making, something about murders being planned and done, and nobody doing anything to stop them. Then he didn't tell you. What? That I was leaving him. He's never mentioned it. Why were you leaving him? Because it was all wrong. I never should have married him in the first place. Why did you? Because he was the kindest, most wonderful man who ever lived. Does that answer your question? Not quite. Is there more? Did you know his first wife? Yeah. And I guess you know he took her death pretty hard. They'd been married ten years. I met him after she died. He was lonely and I was... He was pretty wonderful to me. I thought I could help him. It wasn't because of him I was leaving. It was me. But I never thought he'd do this. I don't think he did. What do you mean? I think he was murdered. But why? When did you find him? I came home about a half an hour before you got here. You phoned the police? No, not yet. I didn't know what to do. Where had you been? I told you I was leaving him. I've been living in a hotel. Does it matter? Why'd you come back? To get some things I'd left. Why are you asking me these things? When it's murder, there's bound to be a lot of questions. I don't think it was. Everybody loved him. He didn't have an enemy in the world. Why would anybody want to kill a man like Mickey McQueen? I didn't have an answer for that, but I started there in the house to try to find one. If it was murder by hanging, I knew it couldn't have been committed without a fight. But a half-hour search didn't uncover any traces of a struggle. I phoned in a report and left Thelma and the apartment. For the rest of the day, I tried to talk myself into leaving the matter in the hands of the police where it belonged. But I couldn't do it. That night, I started making the rounds of Mickey's beat. I talked to a corner magazine vendor who had sold him a dime mystery. A woman in a cigar store who had talked with him. And a cabbie who had borrowed five bucks from him. None of them gave me anything helpful. My next stop was the Cedric Hotel, where I looked up the house detective, Ned Martin. Oh, Dollar, what are you doing in this end of town? Looking for work? 
How are you, Martin? Oh, I got a night off. I'm taking a postman's holiday. Did you hear about Mickey? His promotion? Yeah. He deserved it. I didn't mean that. He's dead. No. What happened? He was found hanging in his own clothes closet. Devil. Come on the office where we can talk. Sit down. Oh, Mickey, I'll miss him. So will I. Uh, did you see him last night? Yeah, he dropped in. He always did once or twice a night. Just to shoot the breeze, you know? Why'd he do it? Did he even know or anything? I think he was murdered. What makes you say that? He came over to see me about 2.30 this morning. There was something on his mind. He wanted to talk, but he wouldn't. That figures. What do you mean? I noticed something about him last night. He was real low. I asked him what was the matter. He said it was because it was his last night on his beat. He was supposed to check into his new job today, but yeah, that didn't sound right to me. Did you know he had a wife? Yeah, I heard about it, and then I hounded him until he showed me her picture. Platinum blonde? Yeah, it looked like it. And young. I didn't want to embarrass him by asking, but I wondered about her. What makes you think it was murder, Dollar? Well, you think Mickey was the type to kill himself? Well, no, but how can you tell? Uh, I guess you can. All you can do is try to find out. Well, if you don't have anything more, I'll be on my way. Wait a minute. Hmm? I guess it was a dirty trick, and I wish I hadn't done it, but I snooped that marriage. I found out who she was. Her name was Thelma Weaver. She did a couple of years in Joliet. Where'd you get that? Well, things like that don't stay hidden. I'd drop it if I were you. I really would. What are you holding out on me? It's for your own good, Johnny. I'll shake it out of you if oh. I have to. <laughs> okay, hero. You know Fred Crew, the Calcutta Club over on Bartlett? I know of him. He's a police informer, isn't he? Part time. You won't take my advice and forget it. Go talk to him. And don't tell him who sent you. <laughs> Fred Koo, as the department knows, is half Oriental. The day coroner's joined the Calcutta is Indian because he can get the effect with no more expensive decoration than reed matting and coconut husks. The place was small and was jammed when I got there by a crowd that was largely male. I didn't recognize a face, but from the atmosphere, I got the feeling I could have retired on 10% of the bail bonds they bought in their time. I found Fred Koo leaning against the potted palm. What do you want? I want to talk to you about Mickey McQueen. Uh, you have an office? You a cop, too? Only a private one. I have a friend of Mickey's. Oh, sure. Roy. Yes? I'm in my office for a little while. If there's any trouble, you buzz me. What is it? Come on, uh, this way. Crowd, my friend. Oh, sure. Sometimes I get a lot of out-of-town trade. Did you see Mickey last night? No, I didn't. I get along fine with Mickey. He won't take any payoff, but he doesn't push me around. Ah, uh, how is he? You know his wife? His wife? I didn't even know he was married. Her name was Thelma Weaver before Mickey married her. She did some time in Joliet. Oh, why do you bother me with this? I got work to do. You knew Mickey was dead. No, I did not know that. I don't see how it would be enough, but it struck me that if somebody knew he was married to an ex-con, they might try to use the information. I suppose you're right. Yeah? Roy, Fred, I think you'd better come out. Important? Yes, I think so. Be right out. Pardon me, Dollar. Uh, a little trouble outside. Uh, you wait here. I'll come right back. I waited. And while I did, I took a quick look around the office for another way out in case I might need it. There wasn't any unless the steel door in one of the walls was it. But before I could try it, the other door opened. I wasn't expecting Fred Koo to return so quickly, and neither was I expecting who did come in. I... I didn't expect to find you here, Mr. Dollar. Likewise, Mrs. McQueen. I was looking for Mr. Koo. What for? I thought I might help... Mickey kept his notebook, you see, where he wrote down all the places he stopped when he made his rounds. This place was one of them. I thought if I could talk to this Mr. Cool. Do you know Fred Cool? No. Do you know anybody named Weaver? Thelma Weaver? All right, mister, that's enough. 
reach. Don't be crazy. What good would that do? Stay where you are and don't try anything. I really mean it. She looked like she really meant it. It was a small revolver, Colt 25. I didn't know whether she'd come in meaning to use it on Fred Koo or me. But it didn't make much difference. At the moment, she had it pointed at my midsection. One of your longtime mystery favorites, Philip Marlowe, is now to be heard on CBS on Friday night. Philip Marlowe, Up for Parole and Songs for Sale. That's the lineup of fine shows for Friday now on most of these same CBS stations. Hear them this Friday, hear them every Friday on CBS. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, Up for Parole and Songs for Sale. And now back to our star, Edmund O'Brien, in the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I couldn't figure. She held her little revolver as if she was used to the feel of it. But there had been something actressy about the way she said reach. I couldn't figure her, but I decided not to take a chance. I grabbed up the inkwell from the desk and threw not it, but the contents. Hey, what's the... Okay. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Now sit down. All right, what do you want? Depends on what you want. I told you. I want to find out who killed Mickey. At the apartment earlier today, you didn't think anybody had. What about it? All right. How much do you know? That your name was Thelma Weaver that you spent two years in Joliet. That's right. After two years in that place, I didn't want to go back to that life and start all over again. I gave the bunch in Chicago the slip and came here. That's how I met Mickey. Arrested me. Begging. What a laugh. Showed up in court the next morning and got me released from his custody. I really felt for the first time like I could start life over. I know it sounds corny. But good. You make it sound real good. You don't believe me, do you? Sure. I believe you as far as you've gone. I even believe the part about starting a new life. You saw that Mickey had a heart as big as the city and you didn't lose any time moving into it. That was smart. It was about the safest hiding place you could have found. For you, but not for Mickey. How did I know about Fred Koo or the kind of man he is? Somebody spotted me and told me. Didn't waste any time getting in touch with Chicago. Those men out there, are they all from Chicago? Most of them. Just about the tall one. Talked with an English accent. Yeah, I remember. Roy. That's him. He came first. Checked the possibilities on Mickey's beat. He found out about Mickey's being moved over to a new job. Where was he being moved? Some desk job. Where? At the police arsenal. The arsenal? How'd he find that out? I told him. I had to. He made me tell him. What are Roy's plans, do you know? Here. Markport building. The one that has all the wholesale jewelry. No, that's no good. Mickey was supposed to help them with a job of that size, or they'd reveal that he was married to an ex-con. That's not enough. They must have more than that. I might as well tell you. Can't hurt me now any more than I've been hurt. His name's Roy Weaver. I'm married to him. He threatened to bring bigamy charges unless Mickey helped him. That'd do it. With your record, bigamy would be a long stretch. Five years. Mickey would do almost anything rather than cause me that. Who killed him? Roy did. I wasn't there, I swear I wasn't. They met him after he got through work at 5.30 this morning. Why did they kill him? Mickey was all ready for his new job. He had the key to the arsenal. Here's your gun. If you're on the level, you may need this, and the caliber's too small to be any good. What are you going to do? I'm going to the police. Why not use the phone? It'll be tapped. That bunch would be in here before I got started. I wouldn't try it if I were you. Where are you going, Thomas? I'm going home. I was waiting for Fred Koo, but I guess he decided not to bother. Fred had to leave. Did Mrs. Weaver entertain you with her sordid story? Yeah, it was very pleasant. <laughs> She's a charming girl. 
And you were going home to think about it. Yeah, if you don't mind. Get out of my way. Oh, I'm afraid I do mind. I couldn't chance having Fred interrupt with the arsenal, could I? Carl? Yeah? Get out of my way. Hey, hey, where are you going? Come on, come on, come on, get out of here. <laughs> That's fine, Carl. Now, should we go back to the office and wait? Bring the lock, Carl. If you became involved in this, Nala, I'd hope there wouldn't have to be any more violence. You did stop him. Yes. Thanks for the buzz, darling. It was a pleasure. Look what the skunk did to my dress. Fred gets started all right. He's well on his way. She'll be back within the hour. Hey, Mr. Weaver, what do we do with this guy? Keep him out of the way. Put him in there. See that he stays quiet. Sure. Hey, you. Turn around. <laughs> At least I found out what was behind the steel door I'd noticed earlier in the evening. When my eyes opened and I got accustomed to the light from a single dust-covered bulb, I realized that I was in a sort of wine cellar. There were some bottles, but most of the storage space was taken up by a large and varied assortment of burglar tools. And there were a few weapons, too, but I knew that they were nothing compared to what Fred would bring back if the raid on the arsenal was successful. I glanced at my watch at 11.15, and right after that, I heard the heavy latch on the door being turned. I got back into my position on the floor, closed my eyes, and listened. Don't forget the bars, Carl. We'll need them for the inside doors. Yeah, I got you. Hey, Benson, you take these and I'll bring the rest. Yeah. He went to guns in there, Mr. Weaver? You won't need them. You won't need them. Mr. Crocker? Yeah. Listen closely now. We're behind schedule. Both cars are in back. In the Buick, you'll find the things from the office. Yeah. I want you to move half of them over into the Cadillac. What about the grenades, Fred? Uh, they're in a case marked CN-Dia. Irritant gas. M6. You heard that? I got it. Open the case and put half in the Buick. Most important is the cordite powder in the vault. There are two boxes. Put one in the trunk of each car. Right. Be careful. It's heavy stuff. I know I'll have it. All right. Get along, then. Hurry. It won't take long. Now, Fred... You'll be in charge of one car. I'll be in the other. That's all right. We're agreed that we'll meet at the north entrance at a quarter past midnight. Both to approach the building from the east on Lincoln. Oh, that's the best. We'll have got two men to guard the south entrance. Two of my men will subdue the guard of the north. They better. They'll spring the alarm in big hurry. You can trust me. They'll just come. Selma? Yes, sir. Where are you going? Don't be so snoopy. I'm going to powder my nose. You're coming with us. Sure, if you want me to. I don't need you, but I don't think I should feel safe without you, really. Don't be long. I'll be right back. I think everything's ready for men here, Mr. Weaver. Good. Go to the car, then, Carl. Uh, what about the Seamus? Oh. We'll lock him up again. We'll decide what to do when we come back. Well, I guess he can't cause no harm in this. I tried to force the door using one of the bars they left behind, but no luck. Then I started poking the cement walls. I knew better than to expect to find any other exit. But with the biggest burglary in the history of Hartford underway, I had to do something. I kept a check on the time, and it was 20 minutes before they were due to arrive at the Marquardt building when a sound stopped me. A steel door was being opened. I moved behind it, still holding the bar. Stop on the way. It'll take us 15 minutes to get to the market, Phil. 
we run into a patrol car on the way, we'll stop it. If we don't, you can drop me and then phone in. Where's your car? The speed we traveled, we should have at least picked up a traffic cop, but we didn't. Martin wouldn't take me any further than the corner of Atlantic and Milton. And we reached there at 12 minutes after 12. That gave me two minutes to get to the Marquardt building. I didn't make it before they arrived, but it didn't make any difference. Both cars had pulled up and were unloading men. From a doorway about 50 yards down, I spotted Fred Kuhl and Roy Weaver. Then I saw Thelma. She got out of the Buick and started toward me. Thelma, where you going? Weaver shouted at her, but she didn't answer. Instead, she stopped, and I saw the little gun glitter in her hand as she turned back to them. Then I saw what she was aiming at. The trunk of the Buick, where the cordite powder was. Help us, Tommy! The car went up in a blast of powder and gasoline, and she moved back towards the other. Someone who had survived the first explosion opened fire on her. I saw her fall, but after she was down, she raised herself, and her last shot connected with the cordite from the second car. By the time I got to her, both cars were flaming wrecks. I picked her up and ran. Oh. You're all right now, Thelma. Who is it? Johnny? Yeah. Where are we? They're still near the market building. We're going to get you to a hospital. I do. As far as I know. Yeah. Oh, I did a terrible thing, didn't I, Johnny? Yeah. I'm not sorry. You wanted to stop them, but I couldn't let you. I wanted to get them off for what they did to Mickey. Don't talk now. Getting destroyed wouldn't have been enough. Would have been easy, but not enough. They were all in it. It was the only way. The court I... Sure. sure. <sighs> Mickey wouldn't have liked me doing that, would he? He was so honest. He always had to do everything illegal. Well, he wouldn't have liked it, maybe. But he might have been proud of it. I am. Why, Johnny? Did you think he would have been... You really do? Yeah, I do. I really do. He was the best man that ever lived. Too bad I wasn't. Oh. Anyway, I took care of the bigamy. They can't send me back to Joliet. <laughs> Thelma Weaver McQueen, as the department knows, was DOA, emergency hospital. None of the mob got out alive except Roy Weaver, who lived long enough to sign a confession to Mickey McQueen's murder. I want you to know that I may have lost a good friend, but you have lost a better police. I hope to see those early news accounts that called him a suicide corrected. Expense account total, zero dollars, zero cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can currently be seen starring in the Columbia Pictures production, 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad, Virginia Gregg, Ben Wright, Jim Nusser, and Dan O'Herlihy. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was produced and directed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Join us next week at this time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Every Thursday night, CBS brings you a top Hollywood star in a new radio play on the Hollywood Theater. Comedy and melodrama, fantasy and mystery. Stay tuned now for the Hollywood Theater, which follows over many of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Philip Marlowe takes the case every Friday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Al Harper at Corinthian, Johnny. I got a case here you won't like, but the commission will be good if we beat it. How big is the policy? $250,000. But you'll have to fly to Hong Kong. Well, you still haven't scared me, Al. Is there something you're leaving out? Yeah, the policyholder. Trans-Pacific Import-Export Company. We've had trouble with them before, remember? Yeah. I sent flowers to the widow. You want to take a crack at it? No. But I will. Edmund O'Brien in another transcribed adventure, The Man with the Action-Packed Expense Account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Corinthian Liability and Risk, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of the Trans-Pacific Import-Export Company, South China Branch. Expense account item one, $1,200, fare and incidental expenses between Hartford and Hong Kong. I realized three minutes after I got off the plane that there is no longer any simplicity in Hong Kong. To fill the smallest want is a complicated problem. There is a shortage of transportation, food, water, and space. Both the island and the city of Kowloon on the mainland have been swamped by the flood of millions of refugees moving out of the interior. I fought my way through the jammed streets under the offices of the American consul. Oh, yes, it's true. Life is very difficult here. Where are they all going? Many of them don't know. Where is it for them to go? Well, what do they do? How do they stay alive? Many of them don't. Yes, sir? Uh, the gentleman from the States. Oh, yes, sir. Mr. Dollar. Uh, would you send him in, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Grover is ready to speak with you. Thank you. Hartford, Connecticut, eh? <laughs> Sounds foreign. <laughs> I suppose it would. It's a pleasure, Mr. Dollar. Grover. Insurance investigation, eh? Yes, sit down. Hmm. Well, I don't suppose my problem will seem very important out here. Yeah, I, I was thinking the very same thing. It's, it's always the case. On the fringe of war, very few individual problems are important. Nor are the individuals themselves. I trust you will keep that in mind while you are here. Hey, now, then, uh, what is your errand? The Trans-Pacific Import-Export Company. Oh, yes, yes. Will Meadows' firm on the mainland destroyed by fire last month. One hundred percent, according to the claim he sent the company that hired me. Two hundred thousand dollars. Do you know this, William Meadows? Oh, I've met him at the American Club now and again. Well, the company isn't satisfied with the report on the cause of that fire. It was blamed on vandalism. The vandalism has become quite a popular pastime across in Kowloon, especially... I take it you suspect fraud. Trans-Pacific had a branch in Shanghai. When the war closed in on them up there, the same thing happened. They came out far better by collecting on the insurance than they would have by standing the expense of liquidating. Yeah. I suppose coincidence won't quite do, will it? Uh, what do you want from this office, Dollar? Oh, I'd appreciate some phone calls or letters that would get me some support from the fire brigade and the police. So we're back to the individual problem. Yeah, but I'll do the best I can. Thank you, Mr. Grover. I won't take up any more of your time. Uh, let me know how you make out. Oh, uh, have you found a place to stay? No, not yet. Well, don't bother with the Occidental places. They're jammed. Uh, but speak with my receptionist, Mr. Vedras. Yeah, I saw on the way in. Uh, Vedras? Yeah, I thought she was Chinese. The half. Her father is Portuguese. 
He has accommodations about uh, halfway up the peak on Sing Wong. Charming girl, nice people. Oh, good. I'll ask her. And thanks again. Oh, Dollar, uh, just a matter of interest. Uh, the case in Shanghai. Uh, you say the insurance company was forced to meet the claim there? That's right. The investigator they sent over was killed before he could build a case. Oh? They blamed his death on war conditions, too. Said he was robbed and knifed by starving refugees. Nobody had time to dig up the truth. Sing Wong is a street of steps that climb from the waterfront to the plush European residences on top of Victoria Peak. My accommodations were a room that looked out on an alley, an iron bed, a chair, and a pitcher of water on a bamboo table. There were no other non-Orientals in the building, but I seemed to be the only one that noticed it. I was suffering from a sort of claustrophobia and loneliness that night. And at first, I was glad to learn it was she who knocked at my door. If you are comfortable. Oh, thank you. I am. Oh, this is fine. Oh, I, I don't have much to offer you. A cigarette? Scotch? Uh, no, thank you. I came because I am curious. I'm in Hong Kong on business, if that's what you mean. It's better kept confidential right now. Is it danger in this business? Why do you ask that? Because you are followed here. You are being watched. How do you know? Oh, I know this street. I've seen this man. He has not been here before. Where is he? Maybe you can see him from the window. Wait a minute. You tell me where he is. I'll look. Shop on the other side. There are boxes piled near the door. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling me about him. Do you know who he is? No, I didn't think anybody knew I was in town. Let's talk about something else. What is that music? Oh, it's a love song. There's about two lonely people who meet near a river. Oh, in America they're different. Yes, I know. I like them. You know many Americans? Yes, I I want to marry one. <laughs> He's a lucky American. Oh, no, I, I don't mean there's only one. I want to marry an American who will take me from China. There's no other way. You hate it that much? There's nothing else to do but hate it. There's no good here. Always trouble. Chinese are very patient people. But I am not all Chinese. Can't make myself be patient any longer. I want to go. What about your Portuguese people? They're gone. You think I am bad to be this way? Honestly, I... I didn't say that. I am not bad. I hope you find your American, Miss Vedras. You want me to go now? I think you'd better. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Good night. Three things interfered with sleep that night. The watcher who was still at a station across the street when I turned out my light, the pleading in the eyes of the girl, and the smells and sounds that drifted into me from the restless, crowded city. It was 4 a.m. before I dropped off, and at 10, I was walking up the gravel drive that led to the residence of Mr. William Meadow. The watcher had changed, but I was still being followed. Is Mr. Meadow at home? Oh, yes, sir. You give them. Who is it, Lamb? My name is Dollar, Mr. Meadow. I'm from Corinthian Liability, Hartford office. Well, so they've sent another snoop. Let him in, Lamb. You come in. What did you say your name was? Dollar. What's the matter with that company, anyway? This doesn't have to be unpleasant, Mr. Meadow. They sit back there in Hartford with nothing to worry about but Sunday's golf game. They don't know anything about the conditions we're working under. They do know that your fire here pretty much follows the pattern of the one in Shanghai. Of course it does. The conditions are the same. Including the starving refugees who killed and robbed the investigator? Careless people are dying here every day. Now say what you have to say to me and get out of here. Well, it's very little. 
I came here to get my reaction to you. I have. You jumped to the conclusion you were under suspicion before I got through the door. You're on the defensive, so you must have a reason to be. And more important, you're having me followed, so you must be afraid of me. Have your dreams, Dollar. But have them someplace else. Now get out of here. Go snoop through the ashes. They're cold. Expense account item two, approximately $4 American taxi and rickshaw fares. Legwork is strenuous enough in a familiar city. In Hong Kong, it took me the whole afternoon to locate three people who had worked in the office of the Trans-Pacific Company. The first was Franklin Abbott, accountant. Please find enclosed transcript of his statement signed before witnesses. Well, I didn't give a thought to how it started, to tell you the truth. I just went to work one morning, and there it was, ashes. Well, had they made any preparations for going out of business? No. How about the rest of the firms in that section? Well, it was all closing. We might just as well have. There wasn't no trade. Well, still, they hadn't moved any of their merchandise out. That's right. The storehouse was full. I suppose your books were destroyed, too? Oh, yes, sir. Everything went. It must have been a vicious blaze. Well, how about the other companies? Any of them burned out? No. Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah? The other storehouses over there, the empty ones, there wasn't no vandals burning them. The people broke in and lived in them. Separately, the other enclosed statements aren't very strong evidence either. The night watchman who was discharged just before the night of the fire and the clerk who had seen William Meadow burning a confidential memo from Trans-Pacific's head office in San Francisco. But with the three together in my hand, I could begin to see a case building against them. I was dog-tired that night when I climbed the steps of my Sing Wong Street to my hotel. What are you doing in here? Nothing wrong. I came to wait for you. Why? Because I am curious. Because I thought of you today. I wondered where you were and what you thought because I was so bold last night. I've been busy. You didn't think? Yes, I thought. Still watching? A different one. But still watching. Are you frightened? I don't know. It's nerve-wracking. I've been followed all day. Are you a criminal? <laughs> no. But you're right, I'm acting like one. Because I feel uneasy in your city. And I'm trying to do a job another man tried to do in Shanghai and got himself killed. I will not ask any more. If that hadn't happened, I could take you someplace tonight, be with people. But I can't take a chance. I have to stay here in my room and hide. Oh, I don't want to go anywhere. Because if I can keep myself alive, I might be able to save $250,000 for a company with $50 million in declared assets. Now let's talk about you. I'm glad you waited for me. <laughs> I think the toughest part of the case was the memory of the murder of that other insurance investigator in Shanghai. It made every group of Hong Kong Chinese potential assassins and every doorway a potential ambush. Gathering the actual evidence was almost easy. The next afternoon, with a supervisor from one of the fire brigades, I went to the scene of the fire on the outskirts of Kowloon. Actually, Mr. Dollar, under the present circumstances here in China, arson can hardly be classed as crime. In the face of war, destruction of material is a common defensive maneuver. Ah, I see what you mean. Unless, of course, criminal intent can be proved. And even then, with an American firm, it's rather awkward. The prosecution will be up to you people. What I want is evidence that will stand up in court against their claim in the company. How do you think the fire started? Well, inside the structure, without a doubt. And by means of apparatus one would hardly find in the possession of common bandits. What? Timing devices. You have proof of this? We recovered fragments, yes. Well, could I get photographs of these things and sworn statements from you? Yes, certainly. It's a pleasure to be of service to you. Expense 
expense account item three, approximately $45 American, a case of scotch in lieu of payment for the photo lab and clerical work the supervisor and his men did for me. By the time we were through, the company, at least, was protected. Pictures and photostats of all the statements had been posted to the Hartford office. It was well after nine that night when I started to climb toward the hotel, and I noticed that for the first time since I checked in, I wasn't being followed. I took it for a good omen until I got there and saw the man who should have been following me standing inside the door. What's this? What are you doing out in the open? Did you lose me? Constable Tryon, Hong Kong police. There's been trouble here, Mr. Dollar. Police? What happened? His daughter's been killed. Shot. She's in your room. One of your longtime mystery favorites, Philip Marlowe, is now heard on CBS on Friday nights. Philip Marlowe, Up for Parole, and Songs for Sale. That's the lineup of fine shows for Friday now on most of these same CBS stations. Hear them this Friday, hear them every Friday on CBS. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, Up for Parole, and Songs for Sale. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Fired through the window. Shade was drawn. She must have been right in front of it. Light behind her. How well did you know her? Just for a couple of days. A jealous suitor, perhaps. She was beautiful. How come you were following me, Constable? Orders direct from the Inspector General. Request came from a Mr. Grover at the American Consulate. Said you needed protection. Well, then you know better than to mention a jealous suitor. She was killed because with only a shadow behind that shade, they thought it was me. Where were you when it happened? I was waiting for you outside Brigade Headquarters when I heard about it. When did it happen? No more than 15 minutes ago. 15 minutes? Why couldn't we have been here? Just 15 minutes. It's too late to bother yourself with what might have happened. Besides, it's not the same as, as it would have been if she was a British national. Oh, or... shut up. I beg your pardon. Take me down to your lieutenant or superintendent or whoever he is. I'll, I'll make my statement of him. <laughs> Good evening, sir. This is the American chap, Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, yes. Superintendent Clyde. Pleasure to meet you, sir. Thank you. I want to make a statement on the Vedras shooting. Vedras? I don't think it's got to you yet, sir. What with all of them these days? A Chinese girl. Father's half Portuguese. I see. Hmm. You're in possession of information pertaining to this case, Mr. Dollar? Information? I know who's guilty. I'm not sure who fired the gun, but an American national named William Meadow is guilty. My now, don't Jeff stop me. She was killed in my room. She was killed because she was mistaken for me. I've been here three days collecting evidence of attempted insurance fraud against Meadow, and that's why she was killed, because they mistook her for me. He's got to be arrested tonight. Good Lord, sir. I, I can't place a man under arrest on the basis of a statement like that. Certainly not an American. I have proof of a motive. Here. The evidence of fraud is right there. Photographs, statements. Look at them. Beg your pardon, sir. It was a Chinese girl who was killed. By mistake. Rather difficult to prove, I'm afraid. She was in my room. My dear chap, do you have proof that this, uh, this meadow fellow knew where you lived, which room was yours? Oh, how do you prove things like that? Unfortunately, there are certain niceties of jurisprudence which we must respect. Right or wrong, sir, I'm convinced of your sincerity, and I appreciate it. That's good. Could you help me look up the phone number of Mr. Grover's home? I have to see him. Yes, Constable Crane will help you and see you safely there. This way, sir. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Dollar, your evidence. You've forgotten it. Well, if it's too weak to make you believe me, I don't need it anymore. Here we are, sir. 
Will he be with Mr. Grover long? I don't know. I'll wait in the car and get a breath of air. Beastly hot tonight. Oh, uh, come in. Come in. It's dreadful news. You've heard then? Yes, yes. Terrible shock. Uh, come in here. I'll pour you a brandy. Did you hear about my part of it? No, no, ju just, uh, just the bad tales. Her father was hysterical. Oh, I tell you, Mr. Grover, this thing is driving me crazy. It's, it's my fault she's dead. Here you are, my boy. We got to know each other pretty well during those two days. I, I don't know quite how it happened. Uh, this has been a bad job for the nerves with my mind on what happened to the man in Shanghai. She was there. I got there yesterday after a bad day. I didn't know who was following me. I guess I needed somebody to be with, so she stayed for a while. Tonight, she was waiting for me in the room. That's why she was killed. They thought it was me. You're sure of this? I'm positive. As sure as if I'd had a camera on the whole thing, but I... I can't move the police. It's, it's not enough. Well, do they have to be cautious? Look, something's got to be done. I, I can't have it left like this. I can't come into her life for two days and be responsible for her death and... and then see nothing done. Uh, I'm afraid it's too late to accomplish anything tonight. In the morning, when our thinking Look, is clear... Look, stop it, stop it, will you? You're not going to tell me you, to go back to that room. Oh, I'm sorry. You see, I at least am muddled. Of course, you can stay here. Oh, I, I didn't mean that. I, I'd rather try to think this thing out by myself. How can I get rid of that constable? I'm liable to kill him if I hear any more of his cheery words of sympathy. Where are you going? No place, just walk. I'll let you out by the rear door. When you want to rest... Please come back here. All right. I will. And please, be careful. It's not too wise to be on the streets at night anymore. It's a picture I'll never walk out of my mind. The girl who had wanted to leave China, lying with her head on one arm as though she were asleep. I don't think I knew I would when I left Grover, but I did go back to the hotel and into the room. Her body was gone, but there were chalk marks on the floor where she'd lain. I transferred an automatic from my luggage to a coat pocket, and I walked some more. I was here yesterday. Let me in. You wait. Oh, hello, uh, Mr. Metro. He's not here. Oh, oh, oh not please. You, you wait. Uh, he's not here. Close the door. Uh, Mr. Metro, he's not uh, here. Metro! Uh, not here. Uh, you come back. Where is he? Uh, he said he come back uh, two, three days. I got to find him. If you know where he is, tell me. Uh, no, uh, he come back. Listen, I don't want to hurt you. You understand? Oh, do not hurt. But I will hurt if I don't find out where he is. It's important. All right. He go Colon. And you go with me. If he's not there, then I hurt. <coughs> I've got to find him. Where is he? All right. I, I tell you. Repulse Bay. What? Repulse Bay. Repulse Bay. On the other side of the island. Where the big hotel is? Oh, yes. Uh, he's there. I can call there on the telephone? Oh, yes. Is he at the hotel? Oh, uh, no. Uh, he has a cottage. Uh, number seven. Uh, last one. Where's the telephone? Oh, oh please. Uh, you not tell her you learn he's there. Oh, the telephone. Hong Kong police. I want to talk to the superintendent. Yes, sir. Will you believe a confession from William Meadow? Yeah, what? Who's this? Mr. Dollar? He's at Repulse Bay, Cottage 7. I'm going after him. If you want that confession, have some men there. Outside in an hour. And quiet until it's finished. Dollar! A 
taxi got me there in 40 minutes. I was a few yards in front of his cottage when the police car slid without lights and cut motors. Meadow? Meadow! Who is it? It's Dollar. Who the devil are you? Dollar! Is that hard to believe? That was somebody else in the hotel room. I want you to go back into town with me. Will you come out or shall I come in? don't suppose it could be called hewing to the niceties of jurisprudence. Since Meadow was dead, he could neither speak nor write his confession. But there were two police carloads of expert witnesses who took the fact that he had opened fire as an acceptable admission of guilt. The same thing cleared me legally on the grounds of self-defense. I had hoped that it would help clear my mind, but it hasn't. Nothing good came out of the assignment except saving your company some money that it didn't know it had. Expense account item four, same as item one. Expense account total, $3,544. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Edmund O'Brien may currently be seen starring in the Columbia Pictures production 711 Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Tudor Owen, Lillian Bayef, High Everback, Robert Griffin, Hal March, and Dan O'Herlihy. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. Join us again next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another transcribed adventure of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thursday night, CBS brings you a top Hollywood star in a new radio play on the Hollywood Theater. Comedy and melodrama, fantasy and mystery. The dramatic fair on the Hollywood Theater is highly varied and always good entertainment. Stay tuned now for the Hollywood Theater, which follows over most of these same CBS stations. A concrete fact. The possible need for blood for our national forces is no longer a vague, shadowy possibility, says General George C. Marshall. The United States government has requested that the Red Cross again become the official agency for collecting blood for the armed forces when and wherever needed. Dr. Eugene Atashek, medical director of the Los Angeles Regional Blood Service, voices the plea of the civilian doctor when he says, increasing quantities of blood must be made available for doctors to use in civilian practice. Red Cross can handle collection, processing, and distribution of blood. But you control the source. So call your Red Cross and make a date to give a pint of blood. Make a date to save a life.
this is CBS, where Philip Marlowe takes the case every Friday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.